But you get to turn in your bulletin. Uh, I do want to remind the kids, kids of all ages, there are sermon notes for kids in the bulletin. And, um, you know, again, if you're 4, 5, 35, 75, if you, this helps you listen, uh, have at it. Um, uh, so uh, I, I would invite you, though, to turn in your Bibles to Exodus 20. We're looking at verses 17, to, 17 through 26. We are officially halfway through Exodus. And it's just flown by, right? Um, and it kind of has to me, but um, I don't know about y'all. Anyway, um, we are at, we're looking at this, the last, the last command, uh, the last of the Ten Commandments. And then um, the reaction, the response of the people to the Ten Commandments. And then uh, God's, I, I would say it's God's response to their response. Um, and, um, and so uh, it's important that we, uh, again, we, we hear God's Word, we recognize the, the beauty of, of these commands, and uh, that they really are, we've said, they do, though they do convict us and, and, and cause us to turn to Christ, they really are uh, a, a law of liberty. Uh, they really are a blessing. They're given in the context of liberty uh, to a people that have been set free. And um, as they convict, as they show us our deficits, they show us our, our inability to keep the covenant, there's freedom in that too. There's freedom in that because we then turn to... Uh, Turn to God for help. Um, and that was the intent then as well as now. And so, with that said, let's, um, let's before we read 17 through 26, let me, let me pray. Lord God, um, I thank you for um, the gift of your word. I thank you for the, that it is holy, inspired, inerrant, completely true in all that it affirms, and it is sufficient. Um, for us to know you and to be, and to know uh, and have a saving relationship with you, Lord, help us to hear your word uh, humbly and to be uh, and to and to turn to you uh, in repentance and praise through this preaching of your word. Give me the words to speak and give us all hearts and minds to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. 
If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up to my altar on steps, or your private parts may be exposed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um, you might be thinking, or I don't know, you've, I've, I've heard many series on uh, the Ten Commandments over the years. Um, this isn't a series on the Ten Commandments. It's a series on Exodus, on the, the story of God's redemptive plan for Israel, His, His delivering mercy to them. And so as we, as we finish up the Ten Commandments, I thought it would be appropriate to say this last commandment for last. That makes sense, right? God put it last. I'm going to preach on it last. But also to connect it with the narrative, to connect it with the historical context. You know, sometimes we, we take, we're, we're really good at taking Bible verses and putting them, take them out of context, right? Uh, what's the favorite one? I can do all things through God who strengthens me. I still cannot dunk a basketball. Uh, and I believe in the Lord and I have not yet done it. And um, I, if there's a trampoline, maybe I probably hurt myself. Anyway, but th- th- you can take that out of context. And so, th- what's the context here? We need it. Uh, when you when you when you don't understand the historical context of something uh, or of a story or the situational context, you miss it. Um, you know, a lot of people feel this way about you know the Constitution uh, of the United States that. We, we, some people feel like it's not a big of a deal, that we don't, it's not an important document. But if you, I was a history major, so I think those things are important. You understand that they're coming out from under a country that didn't have the same rights. Where it wasn't just, we kind of were born into, we've had generations of, of, of the right to free speech and the right to bear arms. And, and now those very, those amendments are like, well, we don't really need those, do we? But we forgot where we came from and forgot what it was like to not have those. And that's being attacked. And again, historical context is important. This is not just a document that's written by a bunch of dead guys. It is. But it had context and it has a story behind it. And we need to know it. And it, may, and it makes it mean something. We, we forget the importance of it when we forget the historical situational context. Same thing. If I told you on a day in April in 2005 that I pulled off on the side of the interstate, slid down an embankment and jumped fully clothed into a stream, you'd go, that sounds stupid. Why did you do that? But there, this is a true story. There was a car had gone off the bridge and fallen into the stream and, and Camille and I pulled over to help them. But if you don't have the context, it sounds like I'm crazy, right? Why would you do that? But there was a need. There was a, there was a situation that called for that. And, and so when we hear the, the Ten Commandments and we just hear it as a, as, a, as, a, as a dead law or hear it as just burdensome, we've divorced it from the reality that God has... Love this people. He's made a covenant with Abraham and he's pursued his people and he's preserved them and he's delivered them and now he's given them a good word. And now even in the hearing of it and even in their response, which is, which is a sinful response I'm going to maintain, an, an ignorant response in some ways, he's still pursuing them and he makes a way for this law to be not kept by them, but to, for them to draw near to him. And so the context is important. So here I've got three points uh, this morning, three things I want us to see. I want us to first look at this last, the all-encompassing command, the Tenth Commandment. We're going to look at the all-encompassing command. Secondly, we're going to look at the fearful distance. And then thirdly, what I'm calling the divine invitation. An all-encompassing command, 
the fearful distance, and the divine invitation. Uh, first, um, let's look at this command. What is it? And we know it. You know, this is one that you know. Um, you probably you, you probably know the. You know, I don't know. If some of you might have had to memorize these, but we all know the last one is "Thou shall not covet." Um, covet's not a word we use a lot. You know, you don't. You're not hanging out with your friends like stop coveting me. You don't do that. You don't say that. Um, but we, we, I think we know what it means. We kind of get the gist of what it means. But what it is, is it comes from a Greek word, epithumia. Uh, uh, and it means in Greek, over-desire. That's a translation of the original Hebrew. And again, another way to define it, covet, is inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire for something. Over-desiring something. You can covet something that's not just bad. You can, you can covet a good thing, and it can be wrong. And you see that, that's clear in the text, isn't it? Um, is it bad that your neighbor has a, has a house? No. <laughs> is your neighbor's wife a bad thing? Uh, well, she might be. I don't know. Anyway, but she, not necessarily. Uh, you know, is it, is it okay to have a donkey or to have property or to have people that work for you? Yes, all that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Those are fine. Uh, but, but again, we can over-desire over a good thing. Um, and, and over-desire something that's not ours to have. And again, the first time we see this word come up in Hebrew is in Genesis 3.6. And it's Eve. She saw that the fruit was desirous, pleasing to the eye. And she coveted it. And she, she had everything, think about that, she had everything that she could want. You know, sometimes we think of coveting and we kind of give ourselves a break. We go, well, you know, there are just things I don't have. It's a fallen world. It's a broken world. And, you know, that's why I covet. It's situational. Uh, okay, now, that, you know, the foil to that argument is Eve and Adam, right? They were in, they, we call it paradise. But pre-fall, there was, they, everything they needed, they had. Fruit, all the trees, all the fruits of the, of, of, of the paradise was theirs. All the world was theirs. There was just this one thing they weren't supposed to have. Just this one fruit of this one tree. And, but they were not lacking. They were not without. And there, the sin came. Now, coveting isn't just... We, we get this, we talked earlier that, you know, as we look at these commands, there's some that are about action-oriented, some that are word-oriented, some that are about our thoughts, or the internal. And, and, and this, this command is about the heart, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not necessarily something we do outwardly. We can covet and no one would know it. No one, you can't see it. But it leads to action. It leads to words. It leads to action. This, this over-desiring of the heart, over-desiring things, maybe good things, but they're not for us. And really, as we look, we see that, if we think about it, this, this coveting, this over-desiring is the sin behind all the other sins. It's the first one, right? Think about it in the context of, of nine. Uh, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You want their reputation. You want their good graces. Or you, you don't want them to have this and you want to be seen better. That's usually why we lie and gossip and slander so that people will think better of us. So we're, we're desiring people uh, to have their, either have their attention or have their ear or, 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 or get our way even when we're wrong. Maybe that's what the false, bearing false witness is. Or, or, get, or get, you know, 
make them look bad in comparison to us. It's wanting reputation, wanting to win, wanting to be well thought of. Uh, that, that's the motivation there. Um, and that's so important. It moves us to lying about one another. Thou, thou shalt not steal. That's pretty easy, right? Last, last week I said when, when, when Eve took the fruit, that was stealing. It was, didn't belong to her. When we take something that's not ours, it's because in, in, in our hearts we go, that really should be mine. I really want this. God says, no, it's, it's not mine. He didn't give it to me. I didn't earn it, but I want it anyway. I'm going to take it. Um, uh, command number uh, seven. Again, adultery. It says that that's the example he gives. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's spouse. Do not, do not desire to be with someone that's not your, your husband or your wife. And, 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 and so there it is. It's, it's this, it begins in the heart. Thinking that um, someone else would be better. Thinking that um, more than one person to be intimate with would be better. And you, and you pursue that. But it starts in the heart, this over-desiring of a good thing. Intimacy, marriage, relationship, good things. Good things. But God's given a context. He said this is, you know, you to have, man is to have one spouse and to be faithful and to, and to become one flesh. And, and that's what he said. And he's given, he supplied a need. But when that becomes an over-desire, becomes more than, we begin to want more than what God has, has said is good. And there it is, coveting, leading to adultery. Uh, thou shalt not murder. I, I'm, I'm angry. I want justice. I want, I, want, I, want to, I want to decide what right is and vengeance is. I want that to be mine. And I'm going to take it in my own hands. I mean, God has said that vengeance is mine and mine alone. And, and I'm angry. And I'm going to, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to decide who lives and who dies. It begins with coveting. I want that power. I want that right. The right, the power that God has for Himself, that God's given to governments and authorities that rule over us. Not, not ours. It's not ours to have. And then you have the positive command of honor your father and your mother. And again, why, why do we struggle with that? That's, a po- that's not a negation, that's a positive. Why would we not want to do that? Because, again, that's easy, right, kids? Kids? And then even as an adult at 44, I'm under authority of the government and under the, the, the session and the presbytery. Like, what is it? I want the power. Kids, you know this, true. What You want to decide when you go to bed, don't you? <laughs> Look at me. Wouldn't you rather decide when you go to bed? Why does mom and dad get to decide that? And you covet that. You covet the position. You covet the control. You resent it. You over-desire it. And then all the commands. uh, You shall not bear false witness. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I'm sorry, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. We want to be in charge of our day and how we order our day. That's what we want. And again, these other commands, where's the coveting? It lies in the fact that we really want to be God. We want to usurp God and, and decide for ourselves how do we talk and how to spend our time and who to worship. It all comes down to this coveting, the sin behind the other sins. 
It's in, in a sense, it's as, as we listen to these commands and we're thinking about it in terms of being the conviction as, as they're hearing the, the words of God boom, this thunderous voice, and He's naming them and He's listing them and He gets to the last one. It really is kind of what the nail in the coffin. You know, it's like, all right, and now you've addressed my heart and I got, okay, I can't keep this. I can't keep any of these. You, you, if, if you were kind of like, I think I can do this with the tenth when you're like, nope, I cannot keep this law. But we said before, uh, earlier, in the, earlier uh, as we looked at these commands, that with every negation there is a positive duty. So what's the, again, what's the opposite? Don't covet, what are we supposed to do? And here it is. The opposite of coveting is contentment. All right, let's pray. No, I mean, how, how do you, how do you, how can you be content? You kind of go, well, you know, Eve should have been content. She was in the garden. She was, she was in paradise. If I was in paradise, I'd be content. No, you wouldn't. You'd be like Eve. That's the whole point. We'd be, we're, we're just like them. But what's, what's, how do we have contentment? And contentment in what you have. Contentment in who you are. Contentment in who you're married to. Contentment in who your children are. Contentment in who your parents are. How do you have that? It's trusting, ultimately, the Lord. It's not contentment in your circumstances. You're like, you should just be content with what you have. Anybody ever told you that? Some of you have some really hard things you're dealing with. Like, really hard stuff in your life. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's really hard. And the circumstance, it stinks. You know, if I'm really in a circumstance that stinks, it's hard. How can... And you're just, God says, be content. We're not content in the circumstances. Where is our contentment? Our contentment is in the Lord Himself. Their contentment is that the opposite is contentment in Yahweh. Contentment in, in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Trusting in Him. Patience in Him. Trusting that He is doing what's best for us. Working uh, what we need in our lives. That's hard to do. But it's true. It doesn't, it doesn't come with focusing on ourselves or focusing on our circumstances. It comes from focusing on the cross, on who God is, and going, you're in, you're in control and you have me. There is no other gods before, before you. I, can, I cannot take you and, 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 and whittle you down into something I can understand. You are the great God, the sovereign God, the covenant-keeping God, and you have Israel, you have your church, you have us individually, and we can trust that you're working in what you've given and in what you've taken away. In the blessings and in the trials. I have a friend, um, a close friend... Uh, at one point, you know, his, his parents were quite wealthy. And then in childhood, you know, sometime he, that, 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 all that wealth disappeared in a matter of a year. And, um, and, and this friend told me this. He goes, he goes I, I'm, I look back on that and I'm so glad that I didn't grow up with all that money. Now, there's nothing wrong with having money. 
Some of you have money. And uh, that's good. And you, you're quite comfortable. But he's like, I'm glad I didn't because he goes, he goes, I'm convinced I would have been a complete jerk if I grew up with all that money. <laughs> now, that was him, right? And you know what that is was going, you know, he could look back at life and go, man, we had it so hard. I, God, God took that from us and just be, you know, be eat up with, with, with regret, eat up with, with you know, frustration. And why didn't I have it good? Why didn't I have the new car? Why didn't I? He looks back and goes, he said, you know, I, I would have been a very different person and probably not that close to the Lord if not for that, what God took away. That's an example. You know, we, we're better off not getting all the things we want. <laughs> Have you ever told your kid that? <laughs> now, do you believe it applies to you? <laughs> That's the hard part, right? But we have a loving Father that puts us where we need to be even in the hard things. And so that's the opposite of coveting. It's contentment, not in the circumstance, not in our own being, not in our own reasoning, but in God's loving plan and His sovereignty. Now what did all this point to? What all happened? What happened at next? An all-encompassing command that has negative negation but also positives. What happened next? And we see that in, in verse 18. He says, they hear this, and what's the response? Thank you so... No. And note the change. In chapter 19, verse 8, he says, they go, Moses goes, will you keep God's covenant? They go, yes! We will keep the covenant. And then he lays out the conditions of the covenant, and they go, we can't hear anymore. You talk... We, we, we can't, we're going to die if he keeps talking to us. Moses, you go. We're going we're gonna to hang back. Was that, the, was that the goal? Well, it gets confusing. Look at verse 20. And we, if you were in faith conversation, small group, I, I pose this question. This seems contradictory. Look what it says in verse 20. Have you ever caught this? Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Do not, do not fear, not fear, okay? God has come to test you that the fear of Him may be in you. Which is it? Which is it? Well, He's using that word in two different ways. It says that when they heard it, they saw it, there was actually, they had like a, a physical response. They were afraid and they trembled. Have you ever been so afraid that you were shaking? Some of you might have some... I'm not trying to take you back to a hard place, but have you been so... Like you just physically... Like, you know... The world... You know... If, it's, if it was some kind of natural disaster, you're afraid the house is going to come down, if it was just... just all, you know... I, I don't know, you know... Your team lost a game. No, I'm joking. That's not, but like you just, I'm, I'm, I'm so afraid. I'm so, I'm just, vis, I'm, I'm physically uh, just overwhelmed. And they were, they were afraid. They were physically overwhelmed. They were retreating from God. And, the, and, and, and that kind of fear is not what God wants. He, he's not. He's like God is not about to smite you. Why? I mean, here's the. Here's how you know that. Why would he have spent? Hundreds of years cultivating 
a people and then bringing them out of slavery and bringing them to the foot of the mountain and promising a, a, a nation and, and, and all the benefits of being his people. Why would he go to all that work just to wipe them out right there? Moses is going, hey, y'all, come, come back. No. Don't fear. He's testing you so that you would have a different type of fear. A reverent obedience. A, a holy reverence for this, the majesty of God, which includes His grace and His mercy and His love. And you hear the power to save and the power to redeem and the power to over the enemies of, of His people. And you hear His word, which is good and that you can't keep. And you go... Wow! And he wants to test them and show them his glory so that they would, what, would continue in humble obedience, not to, not to run away as though he's going to get them, but to recognize his power in his sovereignty, in his righteousness, and in his, I would say, love. Again, this, this is how to live with me and how to live with one another. Not afraid of destruction, but reverent fear. Reverent, reverence that leads to obedience. And that's what he desires. He doesn't want fearful distance. He wants... He has come, he has drawn near to his people. That's the big con that's the historical context. That's the situational context that we forget when we hear God's commands. He has drawn near to them. He's come descended from heaven and lighted on this mountain, and he is present and visible there. He has come into their camp as the pillar of cloud and fire. He is with them. The angel of the Lord is leading them. He has drawn near to them to lead God and save them. He does not want fearful distance. And here's the thing. Some of you still live that way when you think about God. When you think about these commands that you end up going, No. That's, I can't. Mm-mm. <laughs> and, the, and the conclusion that you can't keep the law is right. But here's the good news. He's made a way to draw near. He wants, he wants to be with us. He, has, he made a covenant with His people. Not just Israel, but his, the new Israel, the church. And He wants us to draw near. And that's what we see next. This divine invitation. Where is that? <laughs> the people don't get it. The people run away. The people say, no, 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 we can't do this. We're not ready for this. And here's the good news. God knew it. God knew that would be the response, and he's already provided what they needed. What did they cry out for? Moses, you go, and you speak to us. They, in that moment, realized they needed what God had already supplied, a mediator. God already given a mediator. You ever given someone a gift that they didn't know they needed? You know, you go to like new couples parties, and you give them something, like the guys open up, so going, oh, great, okay. What's a colander? You know, or a spatula? What is this? I don't know. You'll need it. You'll use it. Uh, I, okay. Thanks. And I think that's how kind of Israel was. Like, Moses is your mediator. They're going, okay. I guess we need one of those. And then when God shows up, 
And it demonstrates His power and His glory and His, and his standard. They go, where's that spatula? You know, like, where, I need a flip. Where, where, where is the... We need that meat. We need a meeting. Oh, oh, we got one. We got one. We have someone that will go and hear and bring the Word to us and speak God's Word into our lives and be the represent, our representative to God and He will represent God to us. Oh, we need that because we, there's, He is holy and we're not. And so that's true. They get that. And they cry out for what God's already supplied. And then the next thing, the first thing that Moses comes down and tells them is, he's really just opening up the first, first command, the second commandment, so it's really nothing new, but he's reiterating for them by what basis they can draw near. And it's through what? It's a sacrifice. And it's not, again, as we keep reading, as we read in Hebrews, it was not that the blood of these bulls and goats and lambs that were put on the altar actually atoned, but it pointed to the true atoning sacrifice. The need for atonement. And it didn't actually atone for anything because they had to keep doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But the invitation lies in the fact that there's a mediator that God's provided and then there is a sacrifices that can be given. And note that they can't bring a sacrifice on their own terms. He tells them what to bring. And he also tells them how to build the altar. Isn't that weird? Is God just picky? He is picky. I mean, he's, he knows what he wants. But what's the... How, the kind of rocks they use... You know, we like to make things nice. You know, like, oh, I'm going to slice up those rocks, make them fit really close together, make it look real pretty. He doesn't want them doing that. You go find stones, stack them, and you burn on that. Why? We don't come to Him on our own terms, in our own righteousness. We don't come to Him by the work of our own hands. None of that. And that last part is kind of weird. Don't, don't make it up on steps or you might not be modest. <laughs> but he doesn't want our, our nakedness, our shame to be exposed. Come and, it's not about us. It's not about, just come and simple worship. I need atonement. I'm bringing this, this fellowship offering, this peace offering to God. I have sinned against you. And he goes, if you bring a sacrifice, I will forgive you. Again, not because of that lamb or that goat, but because of who it points to. And again, just but he's, we, the mediator, the, medi- the, the work of Moses is not what, what, what sanctifies us. It's not what justifies us. It's the work of the mediator, Jesus Christ. We need a perfect person to represent us, to satisfy God's divine wrath and judgment. And we need that person to, to not just represent us, but then to, be, to, to die for us because our sins deserve death. And so here we have in this passage this great, this command that cannot be overcome on our own. There's, our mouths are shut. There's nothing else we can say. I, in my heart, I covet everything. I do it every day. I cannot keep this command. That means I can't keep any of the commands. But God does not say, get out. He says, come near. There's a mediator that I've provided. There's atonement that I'm providing, which all points to the mediator and the atoning sacrifice, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus wants us to draw near to him. John 14, 17, he says, Even the Spirit of truth in the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. He says, You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Christ has come. He is coming again. He's bringing us near. Yes, we are far away. We cannot keep the commands. Our sinful, our instinct, and our own selves. I can't do it. I'm going to run away from God. If you are sitting here today and going, I can't be good enough, so I'm not coming to God, you're not understanding the gospel. The gospel is yes. You, we all fall short of the glory of God. None of us can keep His commands, but He has made a way. He pursues us. And gives us His Word as a word of life and liberty, but also a word that can bring conviction and to show us the very thing you're feeling, your inadequacy, your inability. But the answer isn't running away. The answer is turning to Jesus. Turning to the mediator. Turning to the atoning sacrifice. Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to thy cross we cling. We're going to end the service with this, with taking communion together. Because that symbolizes, that's a picture of that very thing. Jesus gives the bread and wine. Jesus says, I do this for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to do the work of, of, of repentance, of, of redemption. All you must do is partake of me, trust me, be united to me by faith. So hear this. Yes, be, be, have fear, but not, not fear that makes you turn and run, but makes you... Turn to Him in holy reverence and assurance that He can. He is, he is willing and able to overcome your sin through the cross and through the resurrection. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for this, Your Word. Help us to believe it. Show us where we fall short. Show us where we, we fail. Lord, help us not to over-desire the good things You've given Help us to see them as blessings that come from you, good gifts from God. And Lord, help us to be content with what you have given, knowing that you are sovereign over that. And there is nothing that's accidental in our lives. Lord, work in us, through us. Help us find contentment and rest in you. Forgive us for our coveting. And thank you that for the mediator, you, you Lord Jesus, your atoning sacrifice that has made us clean. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
In our bulletin, we have printed a description of what we're about to do. It says, Communion, also called the Lord's Supper or Eucharist, is the family meal of Christians. We invite all committed followers of Jesus Christ to share in this sacrament. Those who are baptized members of a congregation that proclaims the gospel, who are at peace with God and their neighbor, and who seek strength to live in a deeper communion with Jesus. If you're not a Christian or are not prepared to share in this meal, we encourage you to spend this time in prayer. We hope that this time is helpful to you as you consider your relationship with Jesus Christ and with His people, the church. Again, if you are a member of a gospel-preaching church and if you, um, you are welcome to come and partake and feed upon uh, Jesus by faith. Um, we, the way we do this here, uh, these first... These front sections come to this table. These back two sections here to my right will go to the table in the back. And then the same over here, you'll go to the table there. So um, come and uh, feed on Christ by faith.
On the night in which Christ was betrayed, he took bread and after he um, blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. As I'm ministering in his name, give this bread to you. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much.